Welcome to Maker Mom, a podcast where I explore the stories of Maker Moms and the life they lead. Each week, I will bring you the behind the scenes story of a new Maker Mom. I'm Katie Freeman, a furniture designer and content creator running FreemanFurnishings.com and your host of the Maker Mom podcast. You can find Maker Moms hanging out in the Facebook community at Maker Moms and on the web at MakerMomPodcast.com. If you love what you hear, please subscribe, leave a stellar review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Maker Mom podcast. Today's guest is Alicia with Pneumatic Addict. Um, Alicia builds furniture. Uh, She's a wife, a mom of identical twin boys, and really just loving this life that she has created, being her own boss, um, being a content creator, and I know you're going to love everything about this episode. So I will let you get to that in just a minute, but... I just want to pause here and say episode 47. Oh my gosh. Like we're so super close. Five episodes away from episode 52, which will mark one year since Maker Mom podcast launched. So I want to hear from you guys. What do you want for this super special episode of the Maker Mom podcast? What should we do to celebrate? Let me know. You can... DM me, direct message me on Instagram. That's at Maker Mom Podcast. Um, you can shoot me an email, makermompodcast at gmail. Just let me know what you want to see. And don't forget to follow along with Maker Mom Podcast on Instagram. Again, at Maker Mom Podcast. Click on the link in the bio. Find all the show notes for all the episodes. Plus, join the tribe over on Patreon so you can get even more cool things. Make sure you go check that out, all right? With no further ado, here is Alicia with Pneumatic Addict. Okay. All right. So why don't you start with just giving an introduction about yourself, who you are, what you like to do, about your family, as little or as much as you want to share. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Well, my name is Alicia Albertson. I build, my website is pneumaticaddict.com. That's where I started. I now have a YouTube channel as well as... Social media, I'm everywhere. Um, I've been building furniture for about eight years. And about seven years ago is when I started my blog. And um, yeah, I've I've been going full time for probably about four years. Been doing this. I do mostly furniture, but I also do some home improvement. We remodeled most of my last house. uh, And I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty, so I'll pretty much try anything. And I have two cute little boys. They're actually identical twins. They're 10 years old. And they, they're they just as busy as you would guess 10-year-old twin boys would be. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I definitely stay busy. But it's fun. I, I love what I do. And I'm so extremely blessed that I get to do this. That's awesome. Um, so before I go too much further, I have to ask, how did you come up with Pneumatic Attic for your name? I know. Okay, so I actually love my my blog name, but if I were to go back, I would 
choose something different, something that's a little easier to spell, probably. <laughs> uh, I chose it because when I first started building, my favorite tool was my pneumatic nail gun. And I was just trying to think of something that rhymed and something that I'd never heard before. And I don't know, I just liked it. It seemed unique. But as I've discovered being online, it's not the easiest to find. So that's my only regret with that. Well, but I think it makes total sense now that you explain it. I mean, it makes total sense why you would go with that name. <laughs> um, yeah. And it is unique. I will give you that. I don't see, you know, most people, especially who make furniture, kind of do something to do with, like, wood in the title, right? Usually. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to differentiate yourself that way. That is true. Yes. Uh, maybe not the most SEO friendly name, but it's unique. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, let's go back a little ways. What was your uh, childhood like? Uh, where'd you grow up? What kind of things were you interested in as a kid? Oh man, we're getting all into it. <laughs> uh, my my parents were very handy people. My they had office jobs, but we grew up and money was always really tight. And so if something needed fixing, my dad would just get a book from the library and learn how to fix it. And my mom was really crafty, really artistic. And so she would sew curtains for us or Halloween costumes and things like that. So it was just normal that mom always had a craft closet full of art supplies and dad had a garage full of tools. Um, they never really taught me anything formally, but you know, Saturdays were chore days and we just were always part of that. And so when I got married, um, my husband's really handy. He actually comes from a family that owns a construction company. So he was a hands-on kind of guy. And, and when we got married, you know, we started working on our house together. And money was also tight, <laughs> again, after we were married. You know, that was during the recession. And being in a construction family, that was really tough. So, um, you know, we just had to figure things out. We needed furniture. We needed repairs. And, you know. We weren't able to hire somebody to do it, so we just did it ourselves. Okay. Um, so do you have siblings from growing up? I do. I am the baby of five, so lots of siblings around. I'm the only one that builds like I do. Um, I do have one brother who is actually – it's I, it's geeky. I can call it geeky because he calls himself a geek, but he does cosplay and he's super, super talented with that. So he's very artistic, but um, I think I'm the only one that, you know, goes out and gets covered in sawdust regularly. All right. Well, five kids. That's a big family. Um, it is. <laughs> my my wife is actually the youngest of five, so I don't understand those big families. I was like an only kid until yeah. my little sisters were born when I was like almost 17. So I don't, I totally do not get the big family. Oh man, no, it's a totally different world. <laughs> I, I have so much respect for moms with lots of kids. I, I think it's amazing. Um, I know myself well enough to know I couldn't handle that. So we had the twins and we were done. That's about all I can take. <laughs> yeah, well, anybody who has more than two kids or has multiples is my like superhero because <laughs> I don't know how you guys do it. Um, yeah, like it, my sisters are twins, they're fraternal, but yeah, I was, yeah. I was almost 17 when they were born and I saw my mom like 
struggle with like feeding schedules and like oh, all yeah. the craziness of like having two at the same age all the way you know through adulthood and i'm just like no no that's not for me i couldn't i don't think i can do that <laughs> <laughs> definitely that's what i tell people when they ask what it's like to have twins i say i don't recommend it uh, i mean i love my boys obviously right, I, right. i'm so happy to have them but if they came one at a time that that may have been a little easier right yeah <laughs> totally all right so what did you do um post high school yeah so i um, in my family, like I said, again, money was tight. And so going straight to college was not really an option. And so I actually went to beauty school. Um, I figured I could pay for beauty school and then I would have a, a real job where I could make some real money and then put myself through college. So that's where I started. Um, and when I, and I worked for a few years as a hairstylist and then I started going back to community college and I was in the middle of that when I met my husband and, you know, took a semester off, like everybody says, and that was 14 years ago, 12 years ago, something like that. So one day I would like to go back and finish, but I'm, I'm really glad that at least I do have my career as being a hairstylist behind me. Yeah. Um, so out of curiosity, what were you going back to school for? Uh, yeah, it's weird. Maybe that's one of the reasons why I never finished, too. Uh, I wanted to go for sociology, something along those lines, something to work for a nonprofit company of some sort. I just knew I wanted to understand people and help people in some way. Um, and those jobs are not always easy to come by, and they're not necessarily easy to support a family on. So maybe that's why I never finished. But I will. One day, I'm going One to. day. Yep. Well, you know, being somebody who puts content out there, you do help people in a way. You help people learn how to make. So it's a little bit oh. different, but, you know, similar, uh, I think, similar path in the in the long run. Oh, thank you. I, yeah. I've, never thought of, I've never thought of it that way, but <laughs> I, I like that. So thanks. <laughs> Um, all right. So, I mean, it kind of sounds like you guys started, you know, you started making stuff when you got married. Is that when you consider it like how long ago would you consider you became like a maker or a woodworker? Uh, I didn't really start much woodworking until we had been married for a few years and I, I actually already had my boys. So my boys were maybe, maybe two, um, one and a half, something like that. The the first project I ever built was a, a, a window seat in the house. But then the second project I built were beds, twin beds for my boys. Because they're when they were around two, they were ready to move out of their cribs. So that's when I first started actually with with the saws and the tools and, you know, moving into the woodworker space is probably around then. Okay. Um, like what maybe walk us through a little bit that thought process of you know needing furniture for your boys and just being like okay i'm just gonna go make it versus like you know going out to the store and buying it you know maybe i i guess i knew that furniture was always something that could be made my grandpa was a woodworker and he we my mom had pieces that he had built uh, i did kind of think that you needed a wood shop for it and more specialty tools because that's what grandpa had 
but it was just, I guess I was looking around for bed ideas or something. I think, you know, I was probably looking around for more like headboard ideas, something that I thought was a lot more approachable. And I just saw, hey, there's people who make furniture out of wood from Home Depot. I could do that. That's not that hard. And I thought, you know, if they can do it, I can do it. Let's give it a shot. Uh, do you know uh, kind of like who were those first inspirations that you found to kind of try yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, like most people, probably one of the first ones I found was Anna White. You know, she had a huge catalog already by then. Um, my friend, actually, she's a good friend of mine now, but Jamie Castiglio was a was one of the first people that I followed and she was doing things. Um, there was another blogger. Her name was Lady Goats and she was building furniture. Uh, there was a couple others, too. And it was definitely it was the blog world back then. Uh, mm -hmm. Facebook was around, but that was kind of it for social media. So there was no Instagram or anything like that. So that was back in the day when you used to log on every day to see what the blogger had written. And so I was able, you know, it was a little harder to find back then, but there was definitely ladies killing it, making really cool stuff and just being a mom. Awesome. So what were the first tools you uh, acquired to make those twin beds? Let's see the twin beds. For that, uh, luckily we did have a drill and uh, a cordless drill and impact combo that we had picked up on Craigslist for twenty bucks or forty bucks or something like that. So we we had that already. And then I think my first tool purchase was probably a pneumatic nail gun from Harbor Freight. You know the eighteen gauge that they have on sale for like seventeen bucks. <laughs> I picked up one of those. And for the saw, I can't even remember what I used. But I know it was, it must have been borrowed from my father-in-law. Um, so it was either a circular saw or a miter saw. But I didn't, I didn't have, I know I ha it took me quite a few years to save up for my miter saw. And that was a big day when I could give it back, give my father-in-law's back to him because I finally had bought my own. Yeah, the, I mean, big tools are definitely have a hefty price tag with them. But so was, so was miter saw like your first saw purchase of your own hmm. no you know what i think we did have a little circular saw one of those little ryobis but probably only like the five and a half inch one or the five inch ones one of the little tiny compact yeah. ones yeah i think we somehow got that maybe as a wedding gift in the combo kit or something like that, that sounds familiar. okay well i have found through talking with all these maker moms for the podcast that it appears Miter saws tend to be like the gateway drug into like the bigger, larger tools for a lot of moms. I um, see that. Yeah, they're they're. I just think they're pretty easy to use and mm -hmm. not as intimidating as like a table saw and stuff when you're first oh, sure. started. Um. So when, or maybe when or how both did you make the the switch to from you know making furniture that you needed for your home to turning it into a blog slash business that was pretty quick so i would say maybe within less than six months of building i once again like i was saying money was tight my husband was in school we needed another way to bring in some money and i had neighbors and family members requesting um, pieces to be built. And so I built a couple 
And then I had a friend invite me to join her to do one of those holiday craft shows. And um, I thought, sure, you know, that's I, that's something I can do. I can work when my kids are asleep and I can do a little bit here and there on the side and and just, you know, trying to do anything basically to bring in some cash. And so I did that for maybe a year and uh, taking custom orders, advertising on Craigslist. Um, and I found out that's really, really difficult to get paid what you're worth in that area, both in the craft shows as well as on Craigslist. You know, it's just not a it's it's difficult to get to get paid for your time you know unfortunately a lot of time goes into those pieces and um you know and i get it when you're buying stuff on craigslist you're you're looking for a deal you're not looking to invest in an heirloom quality piece usually so that's when i i just saw that people were making money from their websites i already had a website to advertise my business and so i thought well at first it started I'll put AdSense on there. I'll just put some display ads. And that's where I thought bloggers made all their money. So I just started there and I think I got maybe $5 a month from that. <laughs> and, you know, just kind of grew. Like I just started learning more and reading and networking and having friends give me advice. And, you know, before long, I realized that's a lot of work. A website, if you want to, if you really want to make that your business, you know, you got to go all in. And so just it kind of developed into that after a couple of years until I was able to keep busy enough and had enough business with sponsors and, and things that I was able to make the jump and go full time. Was there um, any hesitancy on your part in kind of making that leap and like talking with sponsors and figuring out all of that, um, especially in the in the blog world? Yeah, I I didn't even think that's where it would end up eventually. Like I said, I, I kind of was thinking, I'll just have a website and do display ads on it originally. Funny enough, this was back in 2012 when I decided to turn it into a blog. And at that time, I had friends telling me for a while, oh, you should be a blogger. You should turn it into this. And I told them, it's too late. Blogging's already saturated. Everybody's a blogger. It's It's been done before. And I was saying that you know, in 2012, <laughs> and here I am still doing it. So that was my hesitance. I just, I wanted, I wanted to be able to stand out and do something unique. And I think that's probably why I started leaning towards more of the modern style of furniture. Um, that took me a couple of years to find. If you go back to my old, old stuff on my website, it's not modern. It's the same farmhousey kind of stuff that everybody was building. But within a couple of years, I realized, no, if I if I want to stand out, if I want to give people a reason to follow me, I got to give them something they can't get somewhere else. And um, yeah, with the sponsors, I've always tried really hard to to be honest to my style and be honest with my readers. And so when I started incorporating sponsors, it didn't seem like I was selling out or anything like that because I've been pretty selective of who I decided to work with. Okay, um, so I guess. You know, a couple questions there as far as what you're building and putting on your blog and and now like slash, you know, YouTube channel and stuff. Um, are these still like, are you getting commissioned to make these pieces or are these like pieces for your place and you're strictly just making content now? Like, are you kind of in both worlds or? 
Nope, I've just been making content for, I think, four years, three years, something like that. Uh, occasionally, I will build something for a family member or a friend. What I, what I like to do is I want to see what do my readers and viewers need to learn or what, do they, what are they asking to learn, and then I make my project selection based on that. So if my viewers are really, really requesting a, a bed or something like that, then I will find a design, you know, sketch up a design for a bed. And then I will try to find somebody that needs a bed afterwards. You know, that comes secondary. So I, I don't think I have sold any of my pieces in several years, but, you know, my sister's house, she has pieces. Our last house, pretty much every piece of furniture was something I had built. Okay. Um, and then kind of another question as far as, again, back to the sponsorship. Um, when you got started doing that, working with brands, mm -hmm. uh, did you do the reaching out or did you kind of, were they reaching out to you? So I started by reaching out. Uh, since I came from the blogging world, most of my friends and peers were more on the mommy blogger side, or at least more on the crafty side of things. So my first exposure was working with, um, you know, Deco Art, or I can't remember the name of the company that makes styrofoam that they sell in Joann's, you know, things like that, because they were those kinds of brands were early to hop on the blogger influencer space. And so they were a little bit more accessible. And so it was, I got those contacts from networking with friends. Um, and I started out by reaching out to them. And just like most people, I started by getting product first, product only. And of course, this was a long time ago too. And so brands usually didn't have dedicated budgets for influencer marketing like they do now. So you know, it took a while to eventually start getting paid. And then it was $150 or $300, you know, and it just slowly started working up. And then as the, as the brands have jumped on board to the influencer marketing a little bit more, um, you know, they, they have greater demands, but that's totally fine because I'm able to step up my game and give them uh, better deliverables also. Um, and you're working with brands on, are you working with them on both your written blog and YouTube? Yep. So what, what I decided last year is I, I understand everybody likes video. I like video when I'm searching something, I, I would rather see a video than read an article. And I just knew that that's the direction of information. That's where it's going to go. So last year I decided um, I'm going to double down on my YouTube channel and every single project I build, it's it, with very few exceptions, every project is going to be on YouTube. And so now when I talk with a sponsor, luckily I am at the point now that I am approached by sponsors most of the time. Um, but the, that's how I approach it is I'm is always as a package. Here's my video plus a written article. You know, they always go together. Which is actually, it works out best anyways, because I'm going to, most of my projects I provide building plans for. So a video is a piece of the puzzle, but then if they want the building plans, they still got to go back to the website. So you're kind of, are you, is your intent to always drive traffic back to your website? That is the ideal. So once again, like I said, coming from the blogging world, um, 
one thing that's extremely helpful and I recommend to everybody, no matter what kind of content you create, is to get some education on it, go to some conferences, take some online courses. And whenever I've done those, the, the advice that's always been given is to, to drive back to your website or at least drive back to the platforms that you own. Uh, you don't own your social media feed. You don't, and that includes YouTube. You don't own YouTube. And it's not likely to happen, but it is possible one day YouTube just says, oh, we're closing our doors and we're deleting every piece of content on there, including all your affiliate links, including all your sponsored posts. They're all gone. That could happen tomorrow. Like I said, not likely. But my website, I own. And I own that content that's on my website and it's not going anywhere. So it is nice just to have that safety net to know that that's mine. And um, and I have more flexibility with my website too. Like I said, I, I can have plans on there. I don't charge for all my plans because I want to encourage people to build. I don't want people to feel like there's anything in their way to build. And so most of my plans are free, but um, there's a couple on there that I'll call like my premium plans or, or a little bit more involved plans. And I, I do charge for those. And having a website has made that possible to be able to make a little extra passive income from that, which passive income, man, as a mom, that is the way to go for sure. Yeah, that uh, that becomes a time saver once that actually picks up speed. Of course, um, definitely. Do you feel like it sweetens the pot a bit when you're negotiating with a brand that you say like you're you're not just like sponsoring this video, but you're also getting recognition uh, with it being a blog post as well? Like, do you feel like that brings more to the table for them? Definitely. If anybody is feeling like they want to create content, you have to have a website. I know it's a lot of work and it seems kind of daunting but you absolutely need to. My my friend, she's my best friend, Sam from DIY Huntress, she actually taught a class about this at WorkbenchCon. And she focused on the fact that there's just so many reasons why you need a website. One of them would be SEO. So if you have a YouTube channel, for example, um, that's great. But if you have a website that points to that YouTube channel, that's even better. And um, then you, you get all your links. So your search engine optimization is so much better. Every time somebody backlinks to you and your website, then that just ranks you a little bit higher and higher in Google search. So um, that's a great place to be. It's another great thing to offer brands as well. A lot of those brands are wanting um, website exposure. They're wanting backlinks and things. You have to be careful because obviously if you're getting paid, you can't do follow links and things. There's some rules. But they're wanting to have that online presence and they're wanting to, you know, for example, I have a couple of brands that I work with and they, they want to be able to say, oh, we have this many outbound links for our product floating around on the internet. And that just helps buoy them. And then with the website, I would say the most valuable piece that comes with the website is also having Pinterest, which Pinterest is, I mean, for most people with the website, that's their number one website traffic driver. And it's incredibly valuable because it's evergreen. I will have projects from four years ago pop up all of a sudden. Somebody pinned a project from four years ago and now I'm getting traffic from it and I'm getting ad revenue from it four years later. And there's very few social media channels like that that are still relevant years and years down the road. So yeah, you gotta get on the website and you gotta do, do some Pinterest. 
Um, and that helps all those other things. So even if you don't want all your eggs in that one basket, it helps grow your YouTube. It helps grow your social media. It, it, it is a support to basically anywhere else you could put content. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. Pinterest is actually, get, given the month and given the traffic, is twenty anywhere from 25 to 50% of my traffic on my website. Right. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned like conferences, online courses, um, mm -hmm. are there ones that you would recommend, like conferences you'd recommend people to, to go to, to learn about, especially the content creation part of it? Definitely. There's a lot of really good ones. So now I, I would, you can get benefit from almost any sort of content creation conference even if it's not specific to your niche. But if you can go to one that is more specific to what you're doing, to your specialty, it's gonna be twice as helpful because then you'll have the connections with the sponsors and you'll have the networking with, with peers doing the exact same thing as yours. So if, if you have the opportunity, if you're more on the decor side of things and you like to incorporate more of the, the softer side of making, uh, Haven Conference is great for that. I started going to that, I think, five years ago, a um, long time ago, maybe six years ago, even a long time ago. And that was incredibly helpful to learn the basics of social media and pinning and SEO and website development and things like that. That was great. And then in the last couple of years, my, my favorite conference is a spinoff of that is WorkbenchCon. And it's very similar. It, it was started, it is run by the same people who started and were running um, Haven. So same really really high quality courses um it's not as much hands-on if if you're wanting to advance your technical skills with woodworking there's some of that but really it's it's more just teaching you how to be a better content creator um really great especially lately they've been doubling down on the video production and i've gotten some really good tips by going to that yeah i haven't i personally haven't been to haven um, so it's definitely on my radar, but mm -hmm. I've been to workbench con the last two years and I'll be going, um, this year as well. I'll actually be presenting. So, um, oh, that's great. yeah, it's gonna be super fun. Um, and I agree, uh, there was to me a huge difference between the first and second year as far as mm -hmm. like the breakout sessions. Um, I really liked the sessions this last year. Um, mm -hmm. Same. not, not to say I didn't like the ones the first year, but, um, I feel like they really took the feedback from the participants and um, put that to, to work. It seemed visible in what they were offering and kind of like the, like you said, like the how-to for the content creation. Yeah, definitely very helpful. And, and even more, as much as I learned during the sessions, I learned twice as much from talking to my friends while I'm there. You know, it's just great to be able to sit around and talk with people who speak your language <laughs> and they get it. And it's really helpful. You can say, oh, you know, what what software are you using to do this? Or, you know, have you have you talked to this brand? What's the best way to approach this brand? And that's the little stuff that you get in between sessions at conferences. That's just worth its weight in gold. Yeah, absolutely. Is there much to do with sponsorships at um, Haven? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I have made several connections at Haven. Uh, I, I think that's 
that's where I, it is. It's where I connected with a couple of my long-term sponsors, like DAP, for example, is one that I originally connected with at Haven. And they are now one of my long-term sponsors that I've been an ambassador for for three years. So that's a great, valuable relationship. Okay, awesome. Um, all right, so let's get back a little bit back into some maybe tool discussions. So sure, my favorite. <laughs> your favorite. All right. So you started with kind of just some sounds like bare necessities to mm-hmm. get um, some projects off the ground. But what does your shop space look like now? Like what are kind of your go-to tools on a regular basis? Well, my shop is Right now, it's in this weird in-between stage because my husband and I are getting ready to build a custom home and a detached workshop. So it will change and look very different once that's done. But in the meantime, we are in a rental property. Uh, Actually, we're nuts. We're actually sharing the rental property with my in-laws because they're building a house too. So I have half of a garage. And so it's enough. It works. You know, I got everything in there. But the, the things that I use every day are, are definitely a drill, an impact. I have started using a contractor table saw a little bit more. It's still not my favorite tool, but it's necessary for some things. So I'm grateful to have that. I actually received a, um, an ACS, an adaptive cutting system from Craig earlier this year. And I am shocked how much I use that thing. It's basically a track saw with a cutting table and a track saw is really, really approachable, especially if somebody is a little intimidated by a table saw. Um, And even if you have a table saw, a track saw can do things that no other saw can do. It's just super, super versatile and easy to control. So I use that one quite a bit too. Yeah, I was scoping out that system uh, this last year at Workbench Con, but I haven't pulled the trigger on it. I do have um, Craig Jig's step-down version of that, and I'm blanking right now on what it's called, but um, very similar. It's Is that the AccuCut? Yeah, the AccuCut. Um, and I've only used that a few times, but I was, same thing, I was like blown away by A, how easy it was, and right. how versatile it was. I was like, why hadn't I bought this before? I couldn't figure that out, but it was super easy to use. That is a great place to start because the ACS is a little bit pricey because it's just a full system and there's so many bells and whistles that come with it, which are part of what make it so great. But a good place to start maybe would be the AccuCut and and that would get your feet wet and you kind of get used to the whole track saw concept using something like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Okay, so what are the tools that are kind of like at the top of your list that you feel like, okay, I need to purchase these next. I know you have one because everybody does. Oh, I've got a bunch. <laughs> I would love a a larger table saw. I would especially love, I know it's cliche, but a saw stop, something that has the, the safety features built into it. Um, I don't know if I actually will ever do the cabinet saw though, just because I want to, I want to be able to prove to my readers and my followers that you don't have to have a $3,000 saw to make amazing things. So I would love to, to maybe incorporate some more table saw um, techniques, but still keep it 
in the contractor style realm where it's approachable. I I would love to get a jointer one of these days. I've been doing more hard more projects with hardwood lately, and a jointer just really makes that possible. And dust collection, that's the number one thing. <laughs> when I have my own shop again, dust collection will be my first purchase. <laughs> I know, it's like, it's one of those things, it's not really sexy to talk about dust collection, but it's something everybody needs, right? <laughs> it's true, I know, and it's not fun. Nobody, it's like buying toilet paper. <laughs> Nobody wants to spend money on that, but you need it. That's right. Um, so, you said something I want to kind of circle back to real quick, and that is like talking about your readers and, mm -hmm. and you talked earlier too about, you know, the feedback that you're getting from them. So you've got those modern style, but are you mainly focused on like being able to produce furniture out of stuff that you can still pick up at out of lumber you can pick up at like Home Depot or Lowe's or one of those type places? Like, is that your main focus? Definitely. So as I mentioned, I, I, my skills are, are advancing a little bit. And so I want to challenge myself and start using some more joinery techniques, but I'm not going to leave my readers in the dust. Um, most people, most people don't want to invest in that kind of equipment or that kind of time investment. And so I have made sure to always keep my plans modifiable or simple enough that you could make them with off-the-shelf lumber. So even if I choose to use walnut for a project, I will cut it down to nominal sizes. So you can make it out of a one by six or even a two by four. So and I think I will always do that. And I will always try to keep my tool use limited enough also that just a weekend hobbyist could tackle this. Okay. Um, what do you think you get more joy out of actually making the project or sharing it and encouraging others to make it? It depends on the day of the week. <laughs> it, it depends on how many hours I've been locked in my bedroom editing video um, or how many hours of sanding I just finished. You know, that will sway my opinion. <laughs> but I really love both. I, I do. I, I love the creative process of creating videos. I didn't know that. That was until I started doing videos. I didn't realize how creative and, you know, how able, how I was able to express myself that way. That's really fun. Um, but then sometimes I just want to get my hands dirty and I'm just itching to put on some loud music and get out in the shop. So I really do love both equally. Do you ever do a project without filming it? I will do small things occasionally, um, but most of those, even if I am working on something really small, you know, that's usually, a, it, it's usually like a home improvement task or something like that, that I won't film. But if I'm working on that, it's probably still going to be on social media. I'm probably still going to talk about it on Instagram. Yeah. Um... I have learned that, you know, I have created over the last couple of years for myself, like the specific niche, right, of type of products that like I make and I share about and my audience is excited to see. But if I'm working on a project that I'm like, my audience totally doesn't really care that I'm making this whatever utilitarian exactly, yeah. thing, 
I still don't totally cut it off. I'll just share it in my Instagram stories instead so that it's like, I still have content that I'm putting out there. It's different, you know, it fits into a different realm, but I'm still going to share it. I don't know if it's just, I can't stop myself from using it in a content way of some, yeah, some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is sometimes even those projects uh, are helpful to people. You know, I think like, oh, I'm hanging a curtain rod. Most people probably don't want a YouTube video about hanging a curtain rod. But if I put it in my stories, I bet you there'll be one or two people that say, hey, I never thought of it that way. Thanks for sharing. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, you have twins. You're 10, correct? The boys yeah. are 10. Okay. So they're hitting that uh, preteen stride pretty good. I'm <laughs> sure they are uh, extremely busy with activities and whatnot. So how are you managing being a mom of, you know, kids who are getting busier and busier? You're making your projects. You're producing um, video. Like you said, that is a creative project all in its own. Um <laughs> running the website, the blog, how are you doing all of this and not losing your mind? <laughs> uh, not very well some days, I'll be honest. <laughs> it's busy. It's really busy. It's probably busier than it should be. Um, I'm sure we all struggle with that work-life balance, being self-employed. That's the constant battle. A couple of years ago, I did have to, I had to create some boundaries for myself. Because I'm sure most of us are the same way. When we are working on something, you get in the zone. And that's all you want to do. You just want to work until that project's done. But that doesn't work when your kids need food and <laughs> baths and homework and all that stuff. So a few years ago, my husband and I talked about it. And we kind of set up a schedule. So I have work hours and I have home hours. And, you know, sometimes they bleed into one another. But I, for the most part, I try to keep that schedule. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um, yeah, my wife and I kind of talked about that at the beginning of this year as well, because um, especially with the content creation thing and the social media can sometimes take over your life or it feels like yeah. it does creeps in. Yeah. Right. And so it's like I was on my phone way entirely too much during like family time and feeling the pressure to have to um, until it was like, OK, nope, I need to take the break during these hours i'm not on the phone and that's okay right. you know yeah the social media is definitely the trickiest part about it because you're supposed to be present and you're supposed to engage and you're supposed to answer everybody's questions and i truly want to and i think the another part of what makes it really really hard is comparison when i compare myself to some of my friends especially my friends who don't have children um some of my like some of my single male friends who that's all they do. They eat, sleep and drink content and they wake up in the morning and they just respond to comments and they're making videos and they're on top of it. And I see the growth that they get from that. And I want it. You know, I'm thinking, man, I'm working hard too. I want that. I want that growth. I should be implementing the same strategy they are. And so that's sometimes hard to overcome that temptation to just bury my head in my work. Um, but I have to tell myself, you know, like they're able to do that because they don't have these greater responsibilities. You know, my kids didn't ask to 
to be in my family. They didn't ask to have a mom who who makes things. And so it's my job to just give them the best mom that they deserve still. And I need to remind myself frequently that that's my priority. Yeah, I uh, I totally understand understand that. It, it took me a while, um, and it's actually somewhat the reason this podcast started. It took me a while to like realize that. I was just like, man, I feel like I'm doing all the same things that all of these other makers are doing. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Why am I? I was like, oh, <laughs> they don't have kids. <laughs> and like yep. things that take up their time. Um, and then that's kind of honestly when I realized like, you know, I personally need to hear from other maker moms who have this exact same struggle of like, how do you keep making, whether it's a business or not, and taking care of your kids and feeling like you're doing both at least somewhat well most of the time. Um, and that's why the podcast got started is because that voice wasn't out there, at least from what I could find. And I figured if I want to hear it, other maker moms want to hear it too. So that's what started. Definitely. No, you're so smart with that. I think I think it's underrepresented. Just recently, my my friends from uh, Made for Profit, Brad and John, they addressed the topic of of work life balance and feeling burnt out. And you know, the thing is, that's been addressed before. But every time that I've heard it mentioned, it's about oh, because I have a day job or because you know i'm just trying to grow my business and i'm just getting burnt out from from working and doing custom orders or things like that but when they addressed it i think that's the first time somebody talked about you know what your family is not an afterthought your family needs to come first and that's really hard when you're growing a business you know trying to decide that line and to give them the attention that they really need and so i'm glad that I'm glad that you are addressing it and, and some other people, because if we're struggling with it, I know there's lots and lots of, of other people out there who are dealing with the mommy guilt, just like us. Yep, absolutely. All right. So what would you say is your favorite part about, we'll make it a two part question first, just like making, and then secondly, the content creation side of that. Oh, that's a good one. There's a lot of things. I would say with making, my favorite thing is being able to create something useful that most people would never think you could build in in your garage. You know, I could build an entertainment center or something, and it's beautiful, and it's useful, and people will look at it and say, there's no way you went to Home Depot and bought a couple sheets of plywood and made something that looked that good. So I like that. I like, you know, being able to make things make my house look just as good as a catalog and i did it myself with a few tools and i think the content thing is that what we needed um i like kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit and showing people it's not as hard as it looks like i said i think a lot of people have an expectation if you're going to be a woodworker you have to have this full outfitted shop and you have to really know what you're doing. And when I show them in my videos, no, I just have a crappy garage with a water heater and bikes and camping gear just like you. But I'm able to make this cool looking thing. Yeah, I think that's that's key. Honestly, like uh, what stopped me 
from starting my business or really getting back into it as even just a hobby again for a long time was I was like, I don't have a full shop of tools. Like I only have this, this, and this, like, what can I possibly do with that? And then it basically came down to, I have to do this for my mental health well-being. So I'm going to figure out how to make <laughs> with whatever I have right now. That's what I need to do. Yeah, that's awesome. Good for you. I mean, that's what it is. That's what it is to be a maker is you you make it work <laughs> with whatever you got. That's right. What's your favorite part about being a mom? I love my boys. As, as they're getting older, they're starting to develop more personality. And I'm starting to be able to have a relationship, more of a two-way relationship. You know, when they're little, they're cute. And of course, they're they're easy to love when they're little, but now I'm starting to, we're having real conversations now and I get to see their little personalities develop and, you know, we're creating almost like a friendship type thing has started in the last few years. And I love that. That's, that's awesome. What have you, maybe you have, or maybe you haven't, but have there been any challenges you feel like you've encountered being a woman who makes furniture in a somewhat male-dominated field? I do, but it's probably not what people think. I think being a female, it's too easy to make that your identity, to, to use my gender as a reason of what sets me apart. And I don't want that. I don't want people to follow me because I'm a woman. I want people to follow me because I make awesome freaking furniture. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I happen to be a woman and maybe people can identify and feel represented because of that. But I don't want that to be my pure identity. I want so much more than that because we're all so much more than that. You know, we're not just one thing. So I think that's the only thing that maybe is a challenge is that I'm typecast as being a lady blogger or, you know, a woman woodworker. Okay. Do you think, or do you feel like may, any of that mindset comes from having more exposure to the blog world? Probably so. I think a lot of it too is how brands approach you. They're, they're getting much, much better, but brands, sometimes power tool brands and those more woodworking specific brands, they want to work with me because I am a novelty. Um, you know, because representation and that's what they want. They just want to get that minority representation somehow. Uh, but they're getting much better at that and, and recognizing, no, she's just an awesome builder, just like Joe down the street's an awesome builder and, and their work and the quality of content they put out is what we should be judging them by. So that, you know, I don't get so many emails about, we want to work with the Mother's Day campaign with you you know i don't get those quite as as much now but i think that's when i started my business that that was kind of a hurdle to get over okay and it and it makes sense and i get it um i think again it's a double-edged sword right it's to me it seems like um you don't want to be known as like the woman woodworker or the woman maker mm -hmm. uh but on the flip side of things, I think we do need to see more representation out there. That is true. 
of of women making um so it's not yeah. a novelty so it's not about like you're a novelty because you're a woman it does come down to like no you make really awesome things and you're a novelty because this is your niche these are the cool things you're making yep you're so right i'm glad you did say that because hands down i want more women doing this i want more people of every demographic doing this mm -hmm. however however they identify i want them to feel represented because representation matters for sure. So I am glad that I'm able to provide that for people. Mm -hmm. What would be your advice? And I feel like this should be like an easy question for you because I think you probably do it all the time in your blog, but what would be your advice to another, um, especially to another mom who wants to tackle like that new skill, like making woodworking, you know, a home DIY project, but they're hesitant to like, get out there and get started, what would be your advice to them? Pick something that maybe isn't quite so challenging, you know, maybe a little bit on the smaller side or simple, and then just do it. Just just bite, bite it <laughs> full force, go into it. Uh, it might be a little scary, but the thing is the confidence that you get on the other side will empower you to try something more challenging the next time. So you just gotta, and the thing is, if it turns out bad, who cares? It's not the end of the world, you know? If it's a little crooked or a little splotchy, you know, whatever. It's not going to kill anyone. That's right. If nothing else, you just add to the scrap wood pile. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, Alicia, is there any other maker moms out there that are you find super inspiring that you'd want to shout out? Oh, man. I know so many. Uh, I would say the majority of my friends when I started this were all moms. And I just find the mom who is able to have the entrepreneurial mind and be able to see down the road. You know, she's not only managing everything that she's got right now, but she's able to look down the road and see what she's got going is so inspiring. So I would say two of my friends that really inspire me that way, they're not in the woodworker space. They're more in the decor side of it, but they also are makers and they do a lot of DIY tutorials are my friends, Mallory and Savannah from Classy Clutter, which is a, you know, it's more of a decor kind of blog, but those girls are smart. They are smart and they are hard working and they've been able to take, you know, they started their business as refinishing furniture and they now have expanded it it's this little mini empire now and so that is super inspiring and so maybe that's what i would encourage people to do is look at um, people in and maybe parallel uh fields doing not the exact same thing as you but but they're they're still killing it and whatever they're doing and take some inspiration from those moms i'm, I'm glad you brought that up actually because i think that's ideal like i know personally I tend to get a lot of inspiration. I mean, I, of course, I follow a ton of like other woodworkers and makers and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But I get a lot of inspiration from following like artist accounts and oh, for sure. seeing like sometimes that will spark an idea for a completely new design that I haven't seen, you know, in, in the maker and woodworker sphere. Or it is something on that entrepreneurial side. Like I kind of ended up going down the rabbit hole of somebody's account the other day that I just found that I'm like, man, this person is totally killing it in this art space. What are they doing? And trying to like dissect it and figure it out and getting inspiration from it that way too. 
Oh, definitely. I mean, there's there's so many smart people out there making their own space and and maybe just use that as a jumping off point and make something entirely your own instead of just swimming upstream with with the rest of us woodwork or salmon, <laughs> you know, try to chart your own way. That's right. Um, all right, Alicia. Well, if people aren't for some reason already following you who are listening, how what are all the ways that can find you on the uh, interwebs? I am Pneumatics Addict everywhere. So if you search Pneumatics Addict, you'll find me. It's kind of a mouthful. I'm going to spell it for you. <laughs> it's P-N-E-U-M-A-T-I-C, Addict, A-D-D-I-C-T. And I'm basically anywhere. So just Google that and you will find me. Awesome. And of course, I'll include all the links to all of those things in the show notes to follow along with you. Um, and thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. Of course, yeah, it's been fun. It has. All right, again, that was Alicia with Pneumatic Addict. And if you want to know how to follow along with her, if you aren't already, head on over to Instagram at Maker Mom Podcast. Click on the link in the bio and you will see a link for show notes. That will be the show notes for today's episode as well as show notes for all of the past episodes. So you can follow all of the awesome Maker Moms that we have had on the podcast in almost the last year. I still can't believe that's that's the case. But head on over to at Maker Mom Podcast on Instagram. Click link in the bio. Check out show notes. Become a patron over on Patreon. Um, besides the cool things that you guys get, like stickers or t-shirts or extra content um, or fun things like online maker mom meetups where we get to talk about making or momming or both. Um, you also will be helping and contributing to keep the podcast going. So we've got almost a year under our belts. I want to see 10 years under our belts if at all possible. All right. So until next week, I will see you later. Thank you for listening to the Maker Mom podcast. You can connect with the Maker Mom community in the Facebook group page, Maker Moms. And remember, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe, leave an awesome review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know.